This is Child USA's Newsreel. The news about child protection you need to hear every two weeks. Welcome to the Child USA Newsreel. I'm Marcy Hamilton. I'm the founder and CEO of Child USA. And I am delighted today to be joined by two of the stars in our offices. We have uh, Alice Boone, who is an attorney and the director of our legal department, which is the group that's doing the amicus briefs and the tracking of statutes of limitations every day and so much more. Uh, and we also have our social scientist, uh, AJ Ortiz, who is uh, one of the amazing folks in that department who is putting together the data and the facts that help us make the arguments for child protection. So uh, today we're gonna talk about what we love, lovingly call the GOCO Commission. Um, it is the Game Over Commission and it is the group of experts that uh, studied the Larry Nasser issues and came up with a case study and a long list of recommendations. But first I wanted to talk to them um, to hear from them what they thought was most important. This was truly a team effort. Everybody in Child USA played a role. Our commissioners played a role. Um, but I would like to hear today from AJ what, what was his favorite, what was your favorite part of um, the results, if, if not the doing the work to get there? Um, yeah, so um, happy to talk about some of the, the most compelling results. I would say, honestly, my, my top line takeaway when I look at the report is that I think the report does a good job of really laying out just how much there's an environment of um, almost kind of complete control over athletes um, within, within elite athletics. So and we talk about that from a couple of different angles, um, kind of, you know, towards the beginning of the report, we definitely talk a lot about the economic angle, right? Um, you know, and just thinking about how the the USOPC, uh, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, really has, you know, they, they kind of are the only game in town, in a sense, right? So, um, you know, athletes don't really have other options. If they want to reach the elite level of competition in their sport, they have kind of one place to go, right? So, so I mean, one, I guess it's basically a monopoly. Right, right. And, you know, another term, kind of the flip side of the coin would be monopsony um, in the sense that if somebody is looking for almost, you know, kind of an employer relationship, again, they have one place to go, right? So a monopoly would be somebody that's the only person or company providing services. Monopsony power would be the only uh, kind of entity that's seeking uh, employment, right? Or employees, right? And so in this case, the, the athletes really are the employees, right? So they have one place to go. So from an economic angle, again, it's kind of a, a one-stop shop. They only have kind of one place to go. But then, you know, some of our other findings, which I can talk more about later, um, relate to surveys that we've done of elite athletes themselves. And some of the things that they talk about in terms of the dynamics of participating in elite athletics are, pretty, or elite athletics are pretty problematic, um, just in terms of, you know, how much control or influence coaches have over their lives, um, and things like that. So I'm happy to get into that later, but that's kind of the main takeaway that I get from the report is, um, I think that there's almost too much control from the higher ups in elite athletics, 
in terms of how much influence they have over athletes' lives. So, you know, your um, surveys and the analysis that you provided was incredibly important for this whole picture to come forward. And uh, someone who read the report shortly after it was released called me to say, uh, are you labeling USOPC a cult? Um, He said he was completely persuaded by the fact that these athletes enter the system and lose their free will. And while I did not agree to call it a cult, um, the points you're making are so important for every parent whose kid ever enters the space. It turns out you lose a lot of your free will in order to be on the gold medal standard. And so that's, that's rough. That, that's kids, kids do it for fun <laughs> until they don't. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been working a lot on the section of our elite athlete study, which is part of these findings related to emotional abuse. And really what we're finding in that, in that part of the study is that, um, you know, I, I I really feel for a lot of these, a lot of these kids, right? Because they're, they are devoting their lives to reaching kind of the pinnacle of their passion that sometimes they start at a very young age. And a lot of times they do really rely on coaches and trainers, assistant coaches um, to help them reach those goals. But again, that kind of feeds into that power and control dynamic. They're so dependent on coaches to help them reach that level that in turn coaches have a lot of say over the types of practices that they employ to get people to that level, right? And sometimes those practices take the form, unfortunately, of of emotional abuse, whether that's threatening violence, throwing things, verbal insults, um, even things, you know, related to uh, kids' eating behaviors, right? So I really, you know, I really feel for a lot of the athletes because they want to do whatever is necessary um, in a highly competitive environment to reach the pinnacle, but to do that, at least in our culture, they're kind of giving up a lot of kind of like you're talking about their free will, right? They're kind of, um, you know, they're kind of submitting a lot of that uh, free will to to the coach because they believe that the coach or the trainer is going to take them to that top level. Yeah. So which it describes Nasser, um, but it also describes so many of these coaches that the ones that are the most successful can sometimes be the ones that are the most difficult. Um, you know, I, I think one of the big things is we need um, nanny cams in every gym. So every parent can see how their child's being treated while they're being trained to be one of the best. Um, but that, that takes us to the, the legal arena, the recommendations. So Alice, um, what was your sense of releasing the report? What, what did you hope would be the most um, listened to part of the report? Oh, gosh. I, th- I mean, I think that the report provides this really succinct overall uh, picture of, you know, all the ways that um, athletes were going to lose yeah. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to prevention of, um, of abuse and the systems in place, and then all of the responses uh, to it. I think from the legal perspective, I was really struck by three themes of um, responsibility, communication, and accountability, and and how failures within every institution 
for individuals to take personal responsibility and then communicate well ultimately led to this uh, overall failure of accountability. So my hope is that readers will um, come away, you know, impressed with the the importance of these issues, but also with a better understanding of why it's so important that we not just make a good law, but that we do the work that it takes to enforce it. Well, and that's, you know, the, um, the no good deed goes unpunished, right? So um, not, it was not within, maybe it was five minutes when I got the first text in response to the release of the report. And the text just said, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, my glib answer was, well, you better read pages 50 and 51 with the recommendations and get back to me. Um, but uh, where do you see this going now that so we've laid it out like no, no other investigation has. Here's here's your big picture. We've got two pages of recommendations. What's legal going to be doing next? Well, in response to that text, again, I, I think one of the goals of this report is for is for someone to say, okay, what am I going to do about it? So yes, we continue to share this report and our findings, but we've made a laundry list of to-dos for Congress, for police, for medical review boards. So our goal will be to continue to spread the word and to partner with these institutions uh, as they want to make changes. Um, you know, there are some specific areas that we discuss in the report, looking at statutes of limitations reform and trying to um, encourage the expansion of certain types of reporting requirements. And so our team has been working on those issues and will continue to um, with, you know, with this report in mind, for sure. We, we also have been involved in reforming or working to reform the bankruptcy system as it currently exists. Um, and so hopefully, you know, this report will be one of the um, one of the pieces of information that kind of pushes these institutions to make that change. So um, so what's wrong with the bankruptcy system? Well, uh, Nothing at all, depending on the type of bankruptcy you're looking at. But, um, you know, in, in the case of, of um, institutions that are facing thousands of claims for child sexual abuse, uh, Child USA has found that um, bankruptcy does not meet the needs of victims and uh, does not give victims the opportunity to um, participate in the system in a way that will recognize their unique needs and allow them to share their voice. So our hope is uh, to work with lawmakers uh, to amend the bankruptcy code um, to allow victims essentially to have their voices heard um, and to educate the judges who are in those positions of authority um, to be to be able to better understand the needs of victims, yeah. Which is, um, and and all of this is coming out of, of course, our general work, but all but it's all packaged into the report because, frankly, 
the USA Gymnastics used the bankruptcy system. Um, and uh, US uh, OPC, the Olympic Committee, actually benefited from that without having to file for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, no, we, we definitely have a series of broken systems and uh, you know, the, the fact that all these children were let down by all these systems from you know, the police at the very basic level, all the way up to the FBI, of um, the universities, of medical licensing boards. I mean, this was a mess. Plus, of course, the law was not great for the victims uh, with the statute of limitations and with bankruptcy. So, you know, for AJ, what do you see as the next? So you uh, and this, our team have done this amazing work on studying um, uh, the survivors of Nasser, studying elite athletes that weren't in gymnastics to see what was going on. Um, what was the, the most shocking uh, revelation that you've thought we got out of the um, elite athlete study? Yeah, I was going to uh, potentially maybe even, I mean, people can read the report if they want all the uh, the numbers and everything, but there are a couple um, pretty compelling ones, specifically with the, the, the study of 31 of Nasser's victims. Um, I thought it was really shocking how many lack knowledge about reporting and about sexual assault itself. Um, so 96% lack knowledge about what sexual assault or misconduct actually was and how to recognize it. And then all of our respondents reported lacking knowledge about where to report um, those incidents, right? And not only 100% that, but uh, had no idea where to report, right? Which is which and, is crazy. Yeah, and that that really does that really does shock me. Um, but but not only that, but also of the sixty eight percent of our uh, respondents that did report the incidents, eleven percent reported that or only 11% reported that action was taken following that report, right? So to me, that that is just kind of exemplary of like, you know, just how little follow through there actually was in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, in terms of like what I think should kind of come next, um, you know, in, even from like a social science or from a policy standpoint, you know, I really think that obviously protection policies need to be improved kind of across the board, right? I think what's going on um, as safe sport right now, for example, you know, they have their um, kind of minor protection policies as kind of their standards, but I think that they're incomplete. I think they need to be strengthened. And I think they really need to be strengthened in areas uh, such as, you know, training elite athletes to, to actually recognize what sexual assault is and to know exactly how to report Right, so that they they know that they have the right to make their voices heard, to not have any fears of reprisals, right? So I think that that training needs to be in place, um, because you know I still think even with all the the cultural movement around people reporting sexual assault and the Me Too movement, which has been great, I still think that there's a lot of fear out there and a lot of confusion about how am I supposed to actually make my voice heard if somebody does abuse me, right? So. I think that there just needs to be more training and education and awareness around that. Um, and, and one other thing that I was thinking about um, is that I think another weakness potentially in safe sports policies relates to isolated interactions between coaches and, and elite athletes. 
So I think that, you know, they do have policies around there should be parental permission for for coaches to be able to, to interact one on one with kids on on trips and things like that. Um, but it, it, as far as I've seen, it's only a yearly permission. Right. And what we see in a lot of abuse, especially sexual assault, is that it's happening in those one on one isolated interactions. So I think there just needs to be more, um, I would say, strengthened and even more rigorous attention to those type of isolated interactions, again, especially with coaches who have a lot of power and control um, over their athletes. Well, and the um, this problem of isolated interactions or, you know, uh, calling it um, just being alone with your coach. So if you're traveling with your coach overseas and you're sharing a hotel and there's no clear rule that says the coach cannot walk into your hotel room, it's going to happen. And sometimes it will be for positive purposes, you know, a pep talk or, but sometimes it will be for very negative purposes. And it's hard to believe that it's necessary that they be alone one-on-one. And so, you know, schools are starting to do, um, you know, the, the too deep policy. No teacher can be alone with a student. You can't close the classroom door when you're counseling a student. Um, And those same principles need to be inserted into this arena, but uh, I don't see it. And the the biggest problem is that the national governing bodies, so those are the entities that control each individual sport, right? So they are supposedly responsible um, for the safety policies in their sport, uh, not safe sport. And so all safe sports responsible for is removing coaches they hear about, but the NGBs are in control. And so the the times when we write to the USOPC and say to the Olympic committee, look, you have a perpetrator that's thinking they're going to be the coach of the men's hockey team. And we say, that's not right. Well, they respond to that individual outreach, but um, we often hear from the, the Olympic committee, it's really not our job to protect children. That's the NGB's problem. And so uh, this continues to, this is built in, it's baked into the system that these kids can be put at risk. Um, But lest anybody think that we've solved all the world's problems with one report, we're not done. Um, We're now going to be looking at phase two which will be uh, the commission or a commission looking at families and AAU and the NCAA. These are the young kids. These are the kids that don't, many of them don't ever think they're going into elite sport, Um, but they get into the system and then they get systematically abused too often. So, the, with respect to the families, what, what is our plan, AJ, in terms of trying to figure out what they're thinking and what they went through with the Nasser scandal? So the plan is, is to start, I think, with you know, some, some focus groups, with some small groups of parents and get their perceptions on what is the culture in elite athletics? What are some of the risks that they might have seen posed to maybe their children or children that they know, which I think is, is really... Um, I think that's going to be really powerful because I, I, I wanted to go back to what you said about um, 
about travel for competitions, because another thing that we've seen in our lead athlete study is over half of the participants reported that, you know, coaches could just enter the room where they slept or dressed. Right. So there's like a norm around that, around that their space is not necessarily private. Right. Mm -hmm. So connecting that with the families, I'll be very curious to hear what the families think about educating their kids about, you know, having their own kind of private protectable space, um, having some kind of separation between themselves and the coaches rather than there being this kind of enmeshment, right, where it's almost kind of complete interdependence or dependence on the coach. So I'll be very curious to hear what comes out of those focus groups. Um, and then I think that that could potentially, um, you know, the results of that that focus group research could potentially drive some some further survey research that goes even more in depth based on what parents and families are saying are the main issues that we're they're seeing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really just want to see um, more kind of parental involvement in encouraging their, their child athletes to exercise free will within um, elite athletics or to exercise their own kind of autonomy. So I'll be curious to see how much of that parents think is going on already. Um, or if they're just saying, you know, Hey, we just, we trust the coaches to just to take care of our kids. And because, Hey, you know, they've got the credentials, they've got the reputation. Um, So we'll be very curious to hear what comes out of the focus groups and then that will drive uh, future research. Very exciting. And, and Alice, we'll close with you. Uh, you're working day and night on so many different issues for child protection in the law. Um, can you tell us about some of the uh, changes in the law that are already in process uh, that uh, will help the athletes? Uh, happy to. Um, we are looking at uh, well, we're, we're partnering with um, with our our sister advocacy organization to um, push federal statute of limitations reform through a number of different bills um, that are currently pending. We're, there are three separate ones that we're particularly excited about, which would essentially um, encourage states to make significant changes, eliminating the criminal and civil statutes limitations, and in some cases even um, reviving claims, uh, civil claims. We're also looking at ways to um, amend the bankruptcy system so that um, victims can share statements with courts and so that the um, processes of discovery and learning more about how abuse happened or how it was how it failed to be stopped um, can become more public in the process of the bankruptcy proceeding. And also by encouraging um, institutions to share the, the true and full account of what their finances are so that we, we actually know what we're working with when an institution says that it it's going bankrupt. Um, those are the, the two major areas. We're also looking at reforming Title IX um, to set a specific statute of limitations so that um, it doesn't matter what state you live in or where you were an athlete when you were abused, that you have the same access to making a Title IX claim as anyone else in the country because the current state of the law keeps 
some people out of court while allowing others to bring their lawsuits. And, um, and we just want to make sure that, that no one is penalized for living in a certain state if they've undergone something as horrendous as abuse. So those are three areas that uh, Child USA is particularly invested in and excited about. Um, and I'm sure we will find other ways to be involved moving forward too. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just give up sleeping altogether. So, uh, so I, I just want to say that I'm glad everybody got to meet AJ and Alice. They are really special people. Um, they do great work every single day and um, over the top work for the Game Over Commission. Um, and they're still enthusiastic about phase two and so am I. So thanks for joining us today and we'll be back with more news for the next newsreel. Take care. <laughs>